Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mike, when you think of the Nephron, what song comes to your mind? Um, well, uh, none in particular. The long and winding road <laughs> is where sodium will go. Welcome everybody to Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. Today we are focusing on the nephron. Over the past couple of weeks we've been looking at various aspects of the kidneys. Today we're going to focus on the nephron. Before we get started, remember that you can contact us on Facebook, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. You can also contact us on Twitter and Instagram. We use the handle at GU Biosciences or you can send us an email which is gubiosciences at gmail.com. If you want to ask us to do particular videos or ask us particular questions, we've received some emails recently about some videos that we may, uh, sorry, podcasts that we may do in the future, and uh, we'll release them to you shortly. Matthew, nephron. What's a nephron? What is it? It's the functional unit of the kidney. Yep, does all the filtering and does all the reabsorption and secreting and all that type of stuff. So, give me some functions. Give me some functions, okay. Well, well now, now you're singing. Sorry. Uh, I did like the song at the start. Uh, so, some functions of the nephron. Well, basically, we spoke about in the previous podcast about glomerular filtration. So, the very front end of the nephron, and we've got a picture of the nephron like a snake, remember? Mm-hmm. So, you've got the mouth end of the snake, that's where it begins, and the tail end of the snake, whatever makes it to the tail end is going to be urine. So, at the mouth end, where the filtration occurs, that's where we filter all the components of the blood. We stated in the previous podcast that we end up creating, from all our blood, we end up creating 180 liters of filtrate. So, that means whatever passes through the membranes 
at that glomerulus there is called filtrate, and that's the very first part of the tubule. We create 180 liters of that. It's a lot of lot of fluid. A lot of fluid, but we don't pee that 180 liters out. We only pee 1.8 liters out, so that's one percent, which means we reabsorb 99 percent of that stuff that we filter back into the blood. Which and Michael, in that 180 to 200 litres of filtrate, yeah. how much salt is in it? How much salt is in it? Well, I know that in our blood, we should have around about 140-odd millimoles per litre of salt or sodium. sodium so if you multiply 140 millimoles per litre by 180-odd litres, if my mathematics was right, that should give me the quantity in millimoles per litre, which then can be converted to grams. What would that be in grams? This is this is including chloride, so it's probably going to be a bit higher, but in that 180 litres of filtrate, <laughs> two kilos of salt. Of salt. So we filter... Two kilos of salt a day. Yeah. But then throw all of that back, basically, yeah, like into the body. 99% of it. 99% of it back into the body. That's crazy. So, so, we, so of all the stuff that we filter, we throw most of it back into the body. And that's one of the major functions of that nephron. And what was my analogy? I don't know. When? Last, the other the garage. The garage one. Say it again. To clean your garage I out. tend to forget terrible things. <laughs> To clean your gla- garage, garage out, you take everything out first and then you put all the stuff back in that you like. Okay. So basically that's what it's doing. It filters everything then throws what it needs back into the body, which is pretty much everything. So if we have a look at all the stuff that gets filtered. So the type of stuff. So remember we said that big things don't really get filtered. What big in, things? So cells, proteins. Those types of things, they don't get filtered. But the things that do get filtered include water, sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium, chloride, bicarbonate, glucose, urea, amino acids. Are you just reading from the back of a multivitamin? (laughs) I don't take multivitamins. I don't like fluorescently orange urine. Why does it go fluorescently? That's your water-soluble vitamins. Yeah, but which one in particular? B12. Is it? And C. No. Yeah. Riboflavin. Riboflavin. Which is B what? Two, I think. Is it? And when, that's what it means. Riboflavin. Ribo. What's ribo? Sugar. sugar. And flavin yeah. is yellow. Yeah. So yellow sugar. Mm. So it's the riboflavin we're peeing out. Yeah. So we're ingesting it and then just pissing it out again. Yeah. And it glows in the dark. Or is that just me? <laughs> I think it's just you. I think it's, you shouldn't be spending so much time around that radioactive pool. <laughs> All right. So... If we want to create urine, which is the function of the nephron, right, to create mm. urine, there's a couple of things that need to happen. There's actually an, there's, there's an equation for urine production. Right. And it's easy, right? It's, you take the... Is it va- like E-M... 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 <laughs> what is it? <laughs> e equals MC squared. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, good job e there. equals MC squared, yeah. Matthew, is it Dr. like that? Dr. Matthew Barton, lecturer of the year, everybody. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's easier. It's, well, for you, it's going to be far less complex. To find out how we create urine, all we need to do is calculate or find out how much we filter. So get the glomerular filtration rate, right? So that's Which how is? much? 120 mils a minute or 180 liters a day. We get that value. 
And then we minus from that value how much is reabsorbed back into the body. What's reabsorbed? What's reabsorbed? Yeah, what what do you mean by that term? I mean everything that's within that filtrate that's in those tubules of the nephron Mm. now, Mm. 99% of it gets thrown back into the body. That's reabsorption. Yep, back into the blood, which is the body. Question question for you. Yeah. What's the difference between reabsorption and absorption? Easy. So, absorption (laughs) is the... Oh, someone's cocky. Well, I only lecture this. Absorption is the first time we absorb it. So, for example, when I ingest food, that's going to go into my stomach and into my small intestines. Because it's outside world back into the body for the first time. Exactly. Remember, the alimentary canal is recognized as being outside the body because it's continuous with our mouth cheeks and butt cheeks, right? So, when we take that food in that canal and absorb it through the cells of our intestines into our blood, that's absorption. But then that stuff is in our blood, which then gets filtered through the kidneys into these tubules. And then from the tubules, if it gets thrown back into the blood again, that's reabsorption. Does that make sense? It does. So you need to be careful if you're doing an exam that you say reabsorption and not absorption because we're not going to get absorption there at the kidneys. It's reabsorption. Very good. Very good. Okay. So you take the glomerular filtration rate. You minus what gets reabsorbed, mm-hmm. and then you add what gets secreted back into those tubules. Because in actual fact, it's not just throwing everything back into the body. We actually secrete some stuff from the body into those tubules. Back into the urine side. Back into the urine side. And can that happen throughout? It can happen throughout. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So both of this reabsorption and secretion could happen through that long snake called the nephron. Correct. Or maybe the tubule is better. Tubules. Nephron... The nephron includes the glomerulus. That's right. Whereas today we're focused more on the tubule. On the tubule. So just think of a hollow tube. Okay. Now, next question to you, Michael, is um, are all nephrons the same? Two major types of nephrons. Okay. In the kidney. In the kidney. Um, Both kidneys. One's one's the Zach nephron and the other one's the... I just got got that. I know. Uh, So two different types. Now... Hopefully, everyone's aware of the kidney and the way the kidney's shaped, like a bean, and you've got the outer cortex. We did, a, we did a podcast on it. so We did. So, make sure you listen to that. How's okay. that referring back so people have to listen to our previous episodes? Good. You've got the cortex, which is the outer part, and then mm-hmm. the medulla, which is the inside part. And we know that the majority of the nephrons are located where, Matt? Majority of nephrons yep, are located where in the kidney? <laughs> cortex I'd go that's right the cortical right now aspects of the nephron dip down into the medulla so if we would just take a general nephron we'll talk about the two major types of nephrons but if we just take a general nephron and you to draw it out like a snake mm-hmm. there's different segments of these tubules right right so once you've gone past that glomerular capsule then you've got the first tube First part of the tube. And because the nephron is squiggly, like like my song, The Long and Windy Road. Nice. I like the reference. So, that would be probably in Latin, what would you, instead of being long and windy, we'd call it? Convoluted. Convoluted. Yeah. So, a lot of these Like terms, a lot of your discussion points. <laughs> classic. Classic. Classic mic. Um, so, we'd put the tubule in a convoluted pattern so we have the proximal proximal means nearer to yeah and distal means further away that's right so when you say proximal convoluted tubule or pct acronym we mean closer to the glomerulus that's right and that's the first tubule the first part of the tubule which will have all that filtrate so 
let's say 180 liters would be in that PCT most of them. Right? Yeah. What's the next tubule after the PCT? Then we go into the loopy, the loopy area, right? Okay, so this then dips down. So the glomerulus and the PCT mm. are both in the cortex. Predominantly, yep. Then you've got this big dip down. This, the, so this tubule just drops right. and it drops down into the medulla. And this part is, like you said, it, it's a loop. So that means it drops down and then comes back up again. Mm-hmm. Into the, so it goes from the cortex down into the medulla and then loops back up into the cortex again. Yep. And that's called the loop of Henley. Okay. Do you know anything about Henley? No. Good. Neither do I. <laughs> it's just another another part of the body named after an old dead guy. Okay. <laughs> so, and so this is going back to animals. This is what really gives us the ability. Um, in in most cases, going to be the land animals. I think salt water fish can do it a little bit, but not too much. Um, but land dwelling animals. Um, will have different degrees of that loop. So some animals will have a really, really long loop, which will help them reabsorb a lot of water, okay? Whereas um, animals that are probably closer to water probably don't have as long a loop. Okay, and the reason why that's important is we're going to get to it, but the loop has to do with concentrating urine. Through water reabsorption. Through water reabsorption. So if we need more water... We'll have a longer loop because the longer mm. the loop, the more water we throw back into the body. And in the loop, you've got a thin, a thin part and a thick part. So the first part of the loop is the thin part. So I want you to picture a thin loop dipping down and then a thin loop starting to go back up again. But then about one third of the way up that loop, it then gets thicker. Mm. And so the cells, the cells are bigger. The cells are bigger. And that's I- now called the thick ascending. So you have a thin descending and a thick ascending. Because I think it's important to say that in the tubule, they're basically just lined by a one-layer thick epithelium all along the way. And we know... So the, the length of the whole big tube from the PCT into the loop and then into the DCT and to the collecting duct, it has a cell by cell, by cell, by cell neighbouring each other for one layer thick. One layer thick. And we know form equals function with epithelia. Yeah. So usually when you have a cell, uh, an epithelial layer that's one cell thick, it's telling you it's going to play a role with absorption or secretion or maybe both. Okay. And that's the case here. Okay. So we've got glomerulus, proximal convoluted tubule, thin descending, mm-hmm. a little bit of a thin ascending, then a thick ascending limb mm. of the loop of Henle. Then it turns into another convoluted tubule, which we call the distal convoluted tubule now. Yep. And then we turn into the last part, which is called the collecting duct. And this is a tube that then goes all the way down into the from the cortex into the medulla of the kidneys and then into the renal pyramids. And at the end of these collecting ducts, it will drip, drip, drip into the calyx, which is the cup, and then that's urine. Okay. So whatever makes it into the most distal portion of the collecting duct, that's urine. Nothing more can be reclaimed after that. Mm. We can reclaim some stuff in the collecting duct, but not at the very end of it. So what we're going to be talking about today, before we go into the two different types of nephrons, is we're going to go through each of these segments and talk about what gets thrown back into the body where, specifically focusing on salt, so sodium and chloride and water. Mm Mm-hmm. And then what gets secreted back into these tubules? Maybe a little bit. Sounds good. And some diuretics. How do diuretics work? Now, the two different types of nephrons. So we've now spoken about them. So how how are they similar? How are they different? Are you asking me this? It's a question to Uh you. uh I don't see anyone else in here. (laughs) 
All right. So you said that there's cortical neurons. Yeah. Nephrons. That was a test. And you yes. didn't pick me up. We are neuroscientists. So there's cortical nephrons. Yeah. And then there are juxta glomerular nephrons. Yeah. Okay. So there's ones that are predominantly located in the cortex. And then there's some that are more located in the medulla. Okay, so the juxtamedullary ones, I don't know the percentage. What's the percentage of the juxtamedullary nephrons? Juxtamedullary. Medullary nephrons, not juxtaglomerular nephrons. Um, don't know. Okay. Was it like 20%? So Did I make that the up? The juxtamedullary ones, they go much deeper in the medulla, so yeah. they're going to be play a lot more efficient at reabsorbing water, whereas the cortical ones sit a much bit, bit higher up. Okay? Yeah. However, in any case... Both the thin descending and the thick ascending in both accounts are in the same region. So the only real difference is the thin area of the loop. And Michael just sneezed. Excuse me. I was right. About 20 to 30% of the nephrons are juxtamedullary. That just come into your brain or did you Google it? I Googled it. Okay. So the thin section, the thin, is the same... Michael's allergic to something. Um... The thin section is different in the juxtamedullary. Yeah. So it's much longer. Yeah. So it's better at reabsorbing water. So more juxtamedullary nephrons, the better you are at concentrating your urine and reabsorbing uh, water. Hmm. So, all right. Shall we start moving through? See what happens? Where? Talking of water, Michael just sprayed me twice with his sneezes. It's not my fault. It's just... it's, It's flu season here in Brisbane. We've just had the... Eka, which is the Brisbane Festival, and uh, everyone gets sick around the Eka time. And I'm trying to not get sick because I've got a baby due th- five days ago. Still stuck in her at the moment, not coming out. Enjoying the time in there. Yeah, I think so. All right. Nephron. Shall we Have start? Have you got any baby facts before you, we want to continue? Yes. Did you know that babies gestate for nine months? Excellent. <laughs> Human babies. Other babies don't. Is your... Not mine. Future Mine's baby. Nine months your, and your, yeah. six your days. Fu- your future baby. Is yeah. it... Um, how's its urinary system at the moment? Functional. I actually... I actually uh, had a look at its bladder through ultrasound and it's nice and full. Is it full? Full. Which means she's drinking her pee. She's in her little environment there. Her nice amniotic does that mean, sac. Does that mean she's reabsorbing... Pee. In other areas? What do you mean? So you spoke about reabsorption of fluid in the tubule. No. So therefore she's urinating the urine out. Yeah, so re-reabsorption. Yeah, re-re. <laughs> Probably. Probably through her lungs. I suppose so. Yeah. I don't know, but she's, she must be enjoying that though because she's just she's Hanging around. She's hanging out. She needs to hurry up. Okay. All right. So let's start at the first part. Now, of all this 180 litres, 67% of this stuff gets reabsorbed at the proximal convoluted tubule. Let's just say PCT for now on. Now, the PCT is important because if you have an exam and you are asked the question, what gets... Like re- a drug exam? No, no, no. Sorry, like you no. If you're not getting oh, tested sorry. for performance-enhancing drugs... <laughs> no, if, you, if you've if you got a, a med, nursing, AMP, patho exam mm-hmm. and they ask you a question about what substances get reabsorbed back into the body... At the proximal convoluted tubule. PCT. PCT. Your answer should be pretty much everything that's in the filtrate. Mm. Right? Which means 
Sodium, potassium, chloride, magnesium. So all the ions, all the charged atoms and elements, mm-hmm. they'll be reabsorbed there. Water will be reabsorbed there. Yep. But also the uncharged substances, such as glucose and amino acids, they will be reabsorbed there as well. Okay. This is, you know, the what's important about the whole glucose point here is that 100% of our glucose mm. will be reabsorbed at the PCT. So, so you want to talk about your, the relevance here for diabetes? So all your sugar in your blood will be expelled out through the filtrate. Yep. So all of it gets filtered, but, but all of it gets reabsorbed. So you shouldn't be able to have any traces in your urine. That's right. Technically. But if you're a diabetic... Which means, again? Which means you have sustained elevated levels of glucose within your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. That means that you're going to have a huge amount of glucose that's been filtered. Which means when it gets to the PCT, you're going to have this glucose be reabsorbed back into the body, but there's too much. Mm. There's only enough transport molecules there to transport the glucose back into the body. Into the blood, yeah. In, into the blood. Uh, but they're saturated. Okay. Which means the glucose that's left over remains in the filtrate because no other part of the nephron reabsorbs glucose comes out in the pee. Right. And that's why the other week when you made me drink that diabetic's urine, yeah, yeah. Um, it was sweet because those glucose transporting molecules were saturated. Well, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. That's right. So just not enough doors to let the sugar back in. I like to think of it with my bus analogy. You know, a football's stadium, all these, the football game's just finished, people are coming out. You not got enough buses. Not enough buses, people left over, they've got to walk home. So a diabetic hasn't got a problem with the buses, it's more to do with too many people. Too many people, too much glucose. Okay. Right. Now, that's deep, Michael. I'm, uh, I'm a, you know, doctor of philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, you are. Literally, yeah. So, graduated with. Should we talk about sodium being reabsorbed? Because this is important. So, I think today we'll just focus on, because there's so much stuff. So much I stuff. I think we'll just focus on water, sodium, potassium. And a bit and, of other stuff. And just um, Whatever give else some is clinical relevance with the drugs that you may be prescribed. Yes. To help oh. you pee, pee a lot. Yeah. So, I think we also need to... Um, set the scene about you need to picture in your mind the tubes right and then you need to picture that connected to these tubes are cells so lining these tubes are cells and only one layer of cells and then on the so you're going to have the side of the cell that's facing the inside of the tube and you're going to have the side of the cell that's facing the blood Yep. Now, the side of the cell that's facing the tube... No, like blood vessel, when you say blood. You mean that's blood right, vessel. blood vessel. So, you're like, gonna have so they have this snake, which is the tubule, but you have another snake that kind of wraps around it, which is your blood vessel. That's right. So, you and need bet- to think... And between it, between those two snakes, are the, the one-layer thick cells. Yes. Which are like little boxes, let's say. Yes. Yeah, so, you need to picture the box, and obviously, one side of this box is going to be facing the inside of the tube. With the one, filtrate? With the filtrate, one side of the box is going to be facing the blood. Blood... Now, the side that's facing the tubule, mm. we're going to call that the tubular side. Okay. And the side that's facing the blood, we're going to call that the basolateral side. Because baso means base. Yeah. And it's on the lateral aspect of it as well. So, of. when we say the tubular side, we're referring to whatever's facing the filtrate. When we say basolateral, we're referring to whatever's facing the blood. Sounds good. Okay. So, this, this is important because we're going to be referring to this all the way through. But also, on the basolateral side... We've got huge amounts of sodium, potassium, ATPase pumps okay. all throughout this nephron. Not all, but majority of it. 
99.9% is going to have these sodium potassium ATPase pumps. Okay. Now, everyone needs to be aware what these sodium potassium ATPase pumps firstly do. They take sodium from the cell and throw it into the blood. Mm-hmm. How many? Three. And it swaps it for potassium from the blood into the cell. How many? Two. And it uses energy to do this in the form of? ATP. Perfect. So that's why it's called the sodium potassium ATPase pump. And so because it breaks, it, it breaks it down, hence why it's called the A's. That's right. Because an enzyme that breaks down ATP. That's right. Mm. To get the energy out. All right. Now, this is important because, firstly, the majority of the energy that's utilized by the kidneys is going straight to these pumps. Mm. In actual fact, the majority of energy that's being utilized by your entire body is being used by sodium potassium ATPase pumps. Yeah. Most of your energy is being used by these pumps. Now, these pumps in different parts of the bodies, <laughs> these pumps in different parts of the body establishes a resting membrane potential. Okay, they help establish a resting membrane potential. Now, all that means is it helps establish a gradient. Yep. A, a, a gradient of chemical, so concentration gradient and a charge gradient. And this is really important. It's important here in the kidneys because if you're throwing all this sodium from the cell into the blood... Because sodium has a charge. The sodium has a positive charge. Potassium has a positive charge. Mm. But if you throw three sodium from the cell into the blood, blood, that cell is going to have a low concentration of sodium. Mm. Easy. Mm. If you throw a lot of potassium from the blood into the cell, the cell is going to have a high concentration of potassium. Mm-hmm. And we know concentration gradients that things want to go from a high gradient to a low. So if you have low sodium in the cell, that means the sodium that's floating through the tubule mm. will want to go from the tubule to the cell. Mm. Now that's, that's the way, that's the main way that the sodium gets back out of the tubule and into the body. Right. It goes down its concentration gradient from the tubule into the cell, usually without energy required, mm. because it just wants to do it down a gradient, like down a slide, you let go, costs you no energy, just slide down. But then once you're in the cell, the sodium needs to go through that pump, sodium potassium ATP as pump, and swap with the potassium. Is that okay, Matty? Sounds great. Okay. So you just need to keep that in mind. So basically, along most of the tubule... Um, you, on the basal surface, you have this pump system that's working that generates a low level of sodium in the actual cell and therefore wanting sodium to rush from the filtrate into the cells. Correct. And that's the driving force for a lot of movement through the whole nephron. Correct. Okay. Now, did you know we don't have a sodium-potassium ATPase pump inhibitor? There's no drug that does it. Because hmm. if we did have a drug that did it, it would be the most efficient diuretic on the planet. You wouldn't last long though, would you? I don't know how specific you'd need to make it, considering nearly every cell in the body has a sodium mm. potassium ATPase pump. Neurons, neurons, so that we can send signals. Heart, so our heart can contract. And yeah, uh, you kidneys, your so brain. we can filter. Yeah. So I don't think you survive very long if your pumps aren't working. No, but there's different types of sodium potassium ATPase pumps. Okay, have we set the scene well enough? You reckon? Hope so. Yeah, me too. Hopefully we haven't lost anyone yet. Keep listening. All right. So, we've now got all this filtrate coming into the PCT. Like Matt said, we've got 180 liters per day coming into this PCT. Mm -hmm. And nearly everything gets thrown, 67% of everything gets thrown back into the blood at this area. Okay. Okay. Now, 
the, so the, we're, we're collectively putting all the nephrons together. So when we say 180 liters, we mean in all your nephrons put together. Yeah, okay. that's right. All right, so the proximal convoluted tubule, let's talk about the very first part of it. So we can say the first part of the PCT and then the last part of the PCT. Okay. All right. Yep. Now the first part of the PCT, we're going to have sodium get reabsorbed or sodium get reabsorbed into those cells, right, from the tubules into the cells, and it swaps it with hydrogen ions. Okay. So sodium's one positive, hydrogen ions one positive, perfect exchange. Okay, nice so sodium gets shot into the cell. Yep. Hydrogen gets pushed back out into the filtrate. Correct. Now, that means that allows us to increase the amount of acid we pee out because we know hydrogen ions are what create an acidic environment, right? Mm. So by swapping sodium, we get the salt back into our body, the, the sodium back into our body, and we get to pee out that hydrogen ion. Now, that hydrogen ion came from the cell, right? And was swapped with sodium. Mm. Which means it needed to have been created or come from somewhere, right? Right. Do you know where that hydrogen ion was created from? Um, stars. <laughs> well, ult- <laughs> oh, you are going deep today. Yeah, it was. I mean, ultimately, yeah. All our, all our atoms are created by from stars. We no, point. no, I just mean that for me, the mitochondria is a star. Oh, <laughs> I like that. That's good. Okay, the mitochondria. Do we have a? Lo- do you think we have a lot or little mitochondria in the cells of our tubules? Heaps. Hoops. Why do we have hoops, Madhu? Mitochondria make energy. And why do we need that energy? For that pump, the ATPase pump. And I think that's where all the mitochondria are located, right at the the basal surface. Yeah. So, right near the pumps. So heaps of mitochondria creating heaps of ATP for the ATPase pumps. Yeah. As a byproduct, what do mitochondria produce every time they produce ATP? Carbon dioxide? Correct. And did you know that carbon dioxide, when mixed with water, creates hydrogen ions? Does it? Directly? No, not directly. But it does. And in actual fact... With the help of an enzyme. With the help of an enzyme called carbonic anhydrase. Now, CO2... So that that makes carbonic acid. Yeah, which is what I was just about to say. And so you can do that yourself. Nobody knows what carbonic acid is. I'm just about to tell them. If you get a straw, put it into a glass of water and start blowing bubbles into it, you will make low levels of carbonic acid Yeah, because it will saturate into it. Because you're blowing out carbon dioxide. Through your lungs. Yep. It's mixing with water. Which is the, in the glass. <laughs> <laughs> and it's simple maths, right? CO2 plus, plus H2O gives you H2CO3. Mm-hmm. Nothing's lost there. It's just added right. together. And H2CO3 is what we call carbonic acid. Right. Now, the definition of an acid is something that can produce hydrogen ions. Mm. And carbonic acid hates itself, so it splits itself apart. How do you know that? Because I know. I know these things. You've interviewed it. I've interviewed it. asked it questions. I've you know, <laughs> sat down, had a deep and meaningful with carbonic acid, and it says, I hate myself. I constantly split myself apart to produce hydrogen ions which is the acid, All right. and bicarbonate ions, which is its subsequent base. HCO3 Three negative. negative. Okay, so carbonic anhydrase, which yep. is the enzyme, yep. does this um, addition, water and CO2, putting it together much more efficiently, right? Yep. So it adds it much more efficiently. So if you picture that equation in your head, CO2 plus H2O gives you H2CO3. Yep. Which then gives you H plus plus 
HCO3 negative, right. right? So you've got a base and you've got hydrogen. Do I, yep, but let's just say the carbonic anhydrase works at the CO2 plus H2O end, but also works at the hydrogen ion plus bicarbon ion end and goes in opposite directions. Right. Now, it, it, think of it as the if you draw that equation out, put the carbonic anhydrase on a little balance beam and then it teeter-totters back and forth. You know, what's that? What's it called? The, the childhood playground equipment. The teeter-totter. It's not called a teeter-totter. What's it called? One person sitting on one end of a plank of wood, the other person sitting on the other. Seesaw. Seesaw, and it goes up and down. This equation's like a seesaw. It can go in one direction and produce more uh, carbon dioxide, yeah. or it can go in the other direction and produce more hydrogen ions. Okay. Right? And the carbonic anhydrase goes in both directions, making whichever one it needs to. Very good. Now, the reason why I brought this up was because I said, where does that hydrogen ion come from right. in the cells? The carbon dioxide that's produced... That's, so that's built up in the cell and therefore hydrogen's shot across the membrane in exchange for that sodium, Correct. which is following its gradient. Yep. Um, and then that hydrogen's now in the urine, or at least in the filtrate side. Yeah. Now, do you know why I brought it up? No idea. Diuretics, my man. Diuretic. What's a diuretic? Can you define diuretic for the... Something that makes you pass a lot of urine. Yeah. Diuresis. Why would we want to give our patients drugs called diuretics? Why would we want our patients to pee more? Um, Probably to get... Well, probably in most cases to get fluid out of the body, excessive fluid. Why would we want to do that? High blood pressure. And what's the relationship between peeing and high blood pressure? Well, you just get fluid from your um, vascular space and elsewhere in your body, extracellular fluid elsewhere in your body. And if you lose more water than you put in, therefore you'll get pulled out of other areas. So if you can pull down your blood volume, then you get down, decreased stroke volume, therefore you get decreased cardiac output, therefore you get decreased blood pressure. Wow. But I think it's also in other cases where you have excessive fluid in areas like edema. You might want to correct get it that way. Yeah, that's it. Blood pressure is directly linked to blood volume. So you reduce blood volume, reduce blood pressure. So there's a diuretic that works here. Is that right? Yeah, that's with right. That's, that's sodium, the point I'm trying to get at. So with this sodium-hydrogen exchanger, there's a, a diuretic that works there? No. There's a diuretic that actually works that blocks carbonic anhydrase, oh. which means it stops the carbon dioxide from being mixed with water to create hydrogen ions, which right. means if there's no hydrogen ions in the cell, it can't be exchanged for the sodium ions to go in, Okay. which means no hydrogen coming out, no sodium coming in. Where does the sodium remain then if you give this patient this carbonic anhydrase inhibitor? In the filtrate. In the tubules in that filtrate, which mm. means it ultimately will get peed out. Right. And this is important as a diuretic. You're thinking, but we wanted to pee out fluid well, remember, wherever sodium goes, what follows? Fluid. Water. <laughs> Correct. And, and on this sodium-hydrogen exchanger, that's actually where angiotensin 2 acts as well. Ooh. So it enhances that rather than in the diuretic kind of not working. Nice. Nice. And so going back to my... To increase blood pressure, because we spoke about RAS right. the Bl- other week. Blood volume and so forth. Yeah. yeah. So going back to the my stint um, climbing Mount Everest. Oh, go on. Which my father actually listened to a podcast and he said when did you climb Mount Everest last summer <laughs> anyway so when I was climbing Mount Everest yeah. uh, as you did it in the summer summer their summer yeah oh is it, is it better to do it in their you summer you wouldn't do it in the winter 
It's because you're scared. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so as I was going up the mountain, um, less oxygen. Yeah, more less sense. pressure ox- of oxygen. Isn't that right? Yeah, because of gravity pulls things down. So okay. the higher up you go, the less oxygen there is. So I, my body counteracts this by breathing faster. Correct. Okay, as I breathe faster, I blow off more. I will get rid of more carbon dioxide. As I get rid of more carbon dioxide, my blood levels of um, CO2 is lower. Correct. So therefore, using that equation. equation, my pH is going to be... Which way? Higher. Okay, so if you're blowing off all that CO2, yep. that means there's less CO2 in the blood, mm-hmm. which means there's less CO2 to bind to water, yep. which means less hydrogen ions are going to be produced. Yep. And we know that the more hydrogen ions you have, the more acidic you are. The less hydrogen ions you have, the more basic you are. So I was basic. So, I know. <laughs> so, so, so Matt, by blowing off all that CO2, mm. now had alkalosis. Respiratory alkalosis. But down here at the kidney level, yeah, my kidneys are trying to counterbalance this out. How could it do it? It's trying to get rid of bicarbonate because bicarbonate is a base. So it's trying to get rid of this. Ah, because the hydrogen ions, the acid, the bicarbonate's the base. Mm-hmm. And so the kidneys can play around with those levels to alter blood pH. I'm so sorry. if the pH was too acidic, it could pee out more hydrogen ions. Yep. And if the pH is too basic, it can pee out more bicarbonate ions. Perfect. So this is what your kidneys are trying to do, pee out yeah, the bicarbonate. Yeah, that's why I was peeing all the time. Gotcha. Because I was. But drunk. if I just gave you a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor, which they do oh, to get rid of altitude sickness, it would stop your bicarbonate ions from being produced, which means you'd stop you from being so basic. Yeah, that's but right. I don't think there's anything I could do to stop you from being so damn basic, Matthew. Yeah, well, interesting. So does that mean that I can give a patient the same drug? Let's just say there's a drug that acts on the PCT. That blocks carbonic anhydrase. Mm. That's called acetazolamide, <laughs> which is a diuretic. I could give you acetazolamide and it would help with your, I was going to say morning sickness because of my whole baby thing, but I mean mountain sickness. Is that yeah. correct? Cool. And I think the side effect of that would be urinating a lot. Yeah, I think so. Which I didn't think you could do any more of. All yeah. right. So. That's why they call me racehorse. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, that was the front end of the PCT. Let's go. Also, I think also we've got to mention here that there's other things being exchanged, not only um, hydrogen being exchanged or, you know, one, one sodium in, one hydrogen out. Yeah. I think there's other things happening on this surface, like sodiums going in with alongside, so they're going in together, all the negatively charged stuff. So it could be the amino acids. I think also glucose gets a high amount of transport through this way. Yeah. Anything else? Called symport. Symport. So a lot of the sodium gets transported in because sodium is going down its gradient, right? It means... Because of the pump. Because of because of the sodium potassium ATPase pump getting rid of the sodium in the cell. So, there's so you know like the in those big high-rise buildings? Yeah. Right down the bottom. Trump like, Tower. I've never been there actually, but pro- probably I'd imagine. It's got one of those doors. Okay, so but down the bottom of, let's say, a five-star hotel, we've got these um, doors that spin around. Yeah, yeah. What are they called? just continuously... Like a rotating door? That's sound, that makes sense. But some of them are automatic, but then some you need to push on. Yeah. So in this case, let's say, sodium is generating the force. So mm. it's getting shot in through this door. Yeah, into the okay, building. Into the building or the yeah. cell. Okay, and that's generating that spin. Yeah. And so as it's spinning... 
other things can jump on board and run in with it. Like glucose and chloride. And, and amino acids. And amino acids and so forth. So this is where a lot of the other stuff can get in and be reabsorbed. So you can get a lot of um, <coughs> glucose in. So mm-hmm. 100% of your glucose should get in here. Cool. Your amino acids. Yeah. So all the small parts of your proteins yep. can get in here. And chloride. And chloride. And chloride. Yeah. But chloride mainly will get reabsorbed at the latter end of the PCT. Okay. So the next part. All right. Is there anything else in the PCT we should talk about? Yeah, well, 67% of the water gets reabsorbed here as well. That's important to say. Okay. So the majority of water will get reabsorbed back into the blood here at the PCT. Okay. And how does it do that? It will move through aquaporins. Okay. So there's aquaporins. Aqua means water, pora means protein, so there's water holes that it can move through. Okay. But a a lot of the time as well, when this water moves through, Mm. it's carrying a lot of these solutes with it as well. Yeah, and I think as you're reabsorbing a lot of these solutes on their own, um, there's a lot of build-up of these solutes just before they go into the blood. Mm. So kind of between the cells... As there, are, which is that interstitial fluid, mm. as it's about to go back into the blood, so the that kind of interstitial um, area is now quite concentrated, mm. which causes a sucking force of water to get pulled out of the filtrate. But instead of going through the cells, it can go between them, and that's uh, called a paracellular or cellular. intercellular. Um, and that's between the cells. Yeah, and that, that water's moving through osmotic pressure gradients. Yeah. So, and osmotic so it's, pressure. It's dragging it through between those boxes. Yeah. And sometimes it can pull solutes with it, which is called a solute drag, I believe. Solute drag. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay, now, uh, at the distal end, I shouldn't say the distal end, at the latter end of the PCT, because a lot of this positive stuff has been reabsorbed already, mm. it creates a negative environment inside the tubule. And we know that negative stuff gets repelled by negative stuff. So this is where a lot of the chloride then gets repelled from the tubule into the cells. So there's a lot, um, relative to everything else, there's there's a lot more chloride here, which gives it a much higher negative charge. Yeah. And that negative, like in a magnet, repels chloride. Pushes chloride through. That will shoot it through um, between the cells as well. Paracellular or transcellular or... Intercellular. Wonderful. Cool. All right. So that's basically the PCT. Yeah. And is so that's sodium, that's chloride, that's water. Some other stuff. Potassium? Yeah, some other stuff. <laughs> so potassium, um, how does that move through? Moves through similarly to the other okay. solutes. And the same kind of thing, 65%-ish would get reabsorbed in the PCT or yep. potassium? 65% of solutes and water gets reabsorbed here. Okay. That's All right. right. All right. Let's move on to the... Thin descending limb of the Looper Henley. This is so pretty easy, I reckon. So now we go down down the big hill. Down the hill. And it goes from thick to thin. Another thing I just want to mention here, form equals function. Mm. Um, what's the form of the PCT? What's the form of the PCT? Yeah. Uh, you mean f- with epithelium? Yes. Okay. Uh, it is single layers. So They're sim- all single layers, a, Michael. It's so simple, I've already said that earlier. It's a simple. You weren't listening. They're cuboidal. Okay. Yeah. So cuboidal means that there's shape. more space inside of that cell for things to happen. So they're shaped like a cube. Shaped like a cube. And they also have a very large surface area. How? By uh, ciliation. Yeah, microvilli. Microvilli. Sorry, villi, not ciliation. Villi. Look the same. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, That's right. Good. So you have these yeah. little 
projections on the top of the membrane that projects to the filtrate that increases the, the surface area. Correct. But as you go towards the latter end of the PCT, now you're going down into the loop, it goes from a thick now into a thin. So presumably the cells change. So from simple cuboidal villi mm. cells to simple squamous cells. And squamous when we see means... Squished. And when we see squamous, we know that things just want to get straight across it mm. real quick. So what is it that gets thrown back into the body or reabsorbed here at the thin descending limb of the Luper Henley? So as we're going down towards the medulla, it's thin, it's flat. My understanding, the only thing that's really moving here is water. Yep. Is that right? Yep, 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 yep. So basically what that will do is not only pull the volume of the filtrate out, mm. but start to concentrate it. Concentrate it, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Anything more to mention? I think well, it's pretty straightforward. So, and so this is where Matt was saying at the start, the longer the tubule, the longer the thin descending limb, the more time you have for water to be reabsorbed, yep. which means the more water goes back into your body, so the more hydrated you are, and also the more concentrated your urine will be. So the greater the, greater the gradient is, so the yes. osmolarity gradient. So the osmolarity of your blood is about 290, 280 milli osmoles osmoles yeah now as you go right down the bottom of your loop yeah. the bottom of the loop at least on the um juxta medullary one mm. you're going down to 1400 yeah okay it gets really concentrated so it's really concentrated so in you, in in the tubule or outside the tubule well they'll be isotonic won't they so they'll equal each each yeah. other out and then as it starts to ascend back up so as it starts to go back up Towards the cortex, yep. the number decreases, yep. so it becomes closer to the osmolarity in your blood. Yep. Um, but the way that your filtrate loses its concentration isn't by adding water back into it. Because remember, on the way down, the way you concentrate it is just to pull all the water out of it. Yep. But as you've gone back up, you don't. it would be counterintuitive to put water back into dilute it out mm. so basically as you've gone gone back up and the concentration is decreasing the way you are decreasing that is sucking um, solutes out and my understanding the most abundant one yeah is going to be an exchange with two chlorides yeah a sodium yeah and a potassium yes so which we actually call the sodium potassium dichloride symporter and so that's just another one of these big revolving doors, mm -hmm. but it has a lot more people flying through it this time. That's right. So now think about it. If they're all going through at the same time, the body usually likes to balance things out. So you've got a sodium, which is positive, potassium, which is positive, chloride, which is negative, but then another chloride, which is negative. Mm. So it balances charges out here. So you get the sodium potassium dichloride exchanger. and That's it, excellent, Michael. I'm excellent. pretty good. And so that's in the thick ascending limb. So, yep. So we're going up the thick... So this is more like Michael now. Yeah. Thick. Thick. You're talking about my biceps, I hope. <laughs> sure. Um, so we're going up the loop, but it's become thick again. So the form, the form would be? The form would be... So we change from a squamous yep. back into a polycuboidal. Like I would say so. Okay. So as these cells thicken and get bigger, um, we've got start to get um, these channels and transporters back on them. Yeah, correct. And so the so thin descending is water coming out yep. and the thick ascending is salt coming out. Yeah, and so um, we've still got the pump on the basal surface which is still driving that sodium 
um, gradient. Correct the mundo. So that's still causing that revolving door to spin around. Yeah. So, but in this case, instead of, say, sodium hydrogen or sodium glucose or sodium chloride, this time we've got sodium flying through the Donald Trump's door. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But also what's in it is, is potassium. Steve Bannon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> potassium and st- <laughs> Steve Bannon. <laughs> potassium and two chloride ions. Actually, no, it, that wouldn't make sense. I think Bannon would be going the other way. He'd be going <laughs> the opposite direction, I think. <laughs> All right. So we've got <laughs> That's an one, one, one sodium in, two chloride in, one potassium in. Yep. Now, to add a, an interesting point here. Go on. Because you're losing... Uh, you, you said it balances it out, right? You've got a potassium and a sodium, which is p- plus. So yeah. two, two, so yeah. two pluses. And you've got two chlorides going in, mm-hmm. so two negatives. Mm-hmm. So it's balanced, perfect, yeah. right? But as you've gone into the cell, just like Michael, in most cases, um, this cell is leaky. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so potassium <laughs> potassium leaks back out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which makes the summation of the charge in that filtrate now positive, more positive. Or negative? No, more positive. Because you've leaked... That extra, the potassium that you brought in, it goes basically goes back out, okay? Into well, where? Back into the filtrate, okay? So what's positive? So the filtrate, the filtrate is now cl- uh, from uh, adding it all up this movement. It's, yes. It's more positive. Okay. I and what that the cell? And what that's done is that just like we had that chloride um, push rep- repel, yeah. We've now got a positive repel, yeah. And then you're gonna. I think this is where you get your magnesium and your calcium. calcium. That's right. And that but that gets pushed through, I believe, transcellularly, or paracellularly. Yep. Correct. Say para. I should yep. say para. Yep. Para. Makes sense. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And so that's kind of how you get the big movements occurring here, and that will cause the osmolarity of your filtrate to become closer to blood again. Because you're getting such a high degree of solute. Well, can I tell you an interesting point now, Matthew? Is this going to be about a diuretic again? It's about a diuretic. Ferrosamide, very common, what we call a loop diuretic, because it's acting here at the thick ascending limb of the loop of Henley. That's the most powerful diuretic. Very powerful. It's like me. Think about ferrosamide as being like Dr. Mike. What it does is it blocks that Donald Trump door. (laughs) It blocks the... So it's blocking the sodium potassium dichloride symporter, which means no sodium leaves the filtrate, no potassium leaves the filtrate, no chloride leaves the filtrate, which means it stays in the tubule. Mm. That's the first thing. Second thing is if none of those things go into the cell, it means that potassium isn't exchanged and the filtrate doesn't become positive, right? It remains a neutralish charge, which means the magnesium and calcium don't leave the filtrate either, uh, so which means now we have high amounts of sodium, high amounts of potassium, high amounts of chloride, high amounts of magnesium, high amounts of calcium, all in the tubule. And this is why I said it's a powerful diuretic is because we now have all this ionic charged stuff inside the tubule, which has a very strong pull of water onto water. it. Water. So now we've got a lot of water there as well. So that's why furosemide is such a strong diuretic, which also means that this is one way that a patient, if they take too much furosemide... Why would they take that? As a diuretic, oh. antihypertensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably maybe for heart failure as well. Heart failure, absolutely. Yeah. So long-standing heart failure. But these individuals can also have low levels of magnesium in their blood, oh. low levels of calcium in their blood because it's this is one of those sites where magnesium and calcium should get thrown back into the body. But doesn't. But doesn't. So here, you may have a patient who has hypocalcemia, for example. Mm, yeah. So maybe osteoporosis. Yeah. 
Maybe. I wonder if you get more stones this way. Kidney stones. Do you reckon you would? I would say so. Yeah, you'd I have think, more calcium. I think there's been I think there has definitely been a link there. With Frizamide and and calculi production. Okay. I just remember I just some, thinking. I just remember somewhere it's not a mnemonic, but it's just a, a way of remembering something. Stones, groans and moans. I think that's got to do with calcium. Yeah. Stones more obviously kidney stones moans. Groans would be something to do with like pains. So yeah. like um bone and joint pain. I think moans it has some kind of mood effect. Anyway. Not magnesium? No, it's calcium. Definitely calcium. Alright. So that is the thick ascending limb of the loop. Should right. we move on? So we yeah, we we said that furosemide acts here, which is yep. very important, like Lasix. Yep. Okay. Uh so we the thick now we have to move into the DCT, which is the distal convoluted tubule. Yep. Now, interesting thing I read earlier was, or is, the demarcation point from the thick ascending into the DCT is the group of macular denser cells. So what these are these are the cells we spoke about that help regulate um, blood pressure. They're the ones that... Um, kind of uh, monitor the level of osmolarity in the filtrate. And, and we said that, that those macular denser cells come in contact with the afferent arteriole of mm. the, gl- glomer- glomerulus. the glomerulus. Yeah. yeah. So remember the snake comes back up close to the glomerulus here. Like its, okay. its tail is going back yeah. towards its mouth. That's right. And so the demarcation point as we move now into the DCT, now we go into the distal convoluted tubule which is the last part of the tubule, mm-hmm. and that's the last point of yep. the squeeze of the sponge. That squeeze we can, of the sponge. We can get water out. We can get salt out. But we don't get any water coming out at the first part of the DCT. No water's coming out there because that first part of the DCT is quite continuous with the thick ascending limb. And remember, that was only sodium chloride and potassium being reabsorbed. At the thick ascending limb. Okay. And then that continues on with the first part of the DCT. So no water reabsorption there. But then at the end of the DCT, coming into the collecting duct, that's where we get around about 10 to 15% of water being okay. reabsorbed back into the body. So as we move into the DCT, yeah. um, the first main kind of transporting that we have, yep. still we have the pump that's driving the sodium gradient. Yeah, at the basolateral side. Yep. But the main um, symporter here is sodium chloride. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, one sodium goes in with one chloride. Yep, balancing okay. out. Balancing out. And so that's one method of sodium reabsorption. I think that 5% of sodium chloride is reabsorbed in this location. Yep. And there is another diuretic that acts here. There is. The thiazides. The thiazides. So the thiazides block mm-hmm. this transporter. Yep. Okay. Now remember the main the main function. If you if you look at what the, some of the common themes are with these diuretics, is they basically do whatever they can to stop sodium from leaving the filtrate and going back into the body. So we said the acetazolamide at the PCT stopped the sodium from being exchanged for hydrogen ions. So sodium stayed in the filtrate. Did your voice just break then? It did a little bit. The ferrosamide stopped the sodium from going from the filtrate into the cells by blocking the sodium potassium dichloride symporter. And here we're stopping sodium from going back into the blood with the thiazides by moving with chloride into the cells. Okay. So by keeping sodium in the in the filtrate, we're keeping water in the filtrate. Yep. Done. And I think the filtrate 
um, its its charge here is negative, and so that would be causing again a paracellular shift of chloride. Cool. Okay. So now we move down finally into the collecting duct. Yeah. And so this is the final pla place yep. that we can do anything before it becomes toilet water. <laughs> <laughs> urine. Where urine? Where? Urine where? Uh, urine, I don't know. All right, so collecting duct. Now, I think as we go from the DCT to the collecting duct, there's two main types of cells here, mm -hmm. okay? We've got cells called principal cells yep. and cells called intercalated cells. Because they are? Intercalated. <laughs> That's right, they're in between the principal cells. That's right. Now, let's talk about what the principal cells do. The function of the principal cells... Is that they the, the boss the boss man? That's right. They reabsorb sodium and water back into the blood, and they secrete potassium into the filtrate. Okay. Do you know what? So the, they've still got pumps here, right? So the principal cell here. still has the sodium potassium pump. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they help sodium and water go back into the uh, into the body, and swaps it for potassium. Okay. Do you know what chemical acts here? Aldosterone. Aldosterone, that's right. So aldosterone sort of increases this function from happening. Okay, so aldosterone is a more steroid. More. Yep. So it can go... Corticosteroid. It goes into the principal cell, mm -hmm. goes to the DNA, causes a gene expression, yep. and it causes an upregulation of both the pump and the sodium channels. Yep. Okay. Which means it increases sodium jumping out into the blood to increase the demand for sodium to get into the cell, which then increases the sodium from getting going from the filtrate into, into the, the cell. Blood. Yep. So when aldosterone is part of that RAS system, which we had a podcast on. We did. But just to summarize it, when you have a low blood volume or you're dehydrated and you need to get blood volume up quick. Or low blood pressure. A, a good way to do this is to release aldosterone from your adrenal glands, yep. which will come here, right right here, right now. Yep, the DCT in, and the In collector. the principal cell. Yep. And tell the nucleus in this principal cells to start... Upregulating uh, a gene to make uh, a pump and a sodium channel. Perfect. Sound good? Sounds good. So that's a principal cell. That's a principal. And while we're here... Yeah, since we are here... <laughs> there is two diuretics that work here as well. Oh, okay. And so these are special diuretics. Yeah. Because unlike the other diuretics that were mentioned, the thiazides, the loops, and the anhydrase ones, yeah. they all will cause excessive water and salt to go out in the urine, yep. but also you get a loss of potassium. You do. Now, potassium can be um, a more dangerous thing not to... If it's unregulated, mm -hmm. if it's out of whack, yep. you can get some serious neurological, neurological and muscular issues. Yeah. So, people who may have certain problems with their heart or so forth, they might... The doctor might want to prescribe uh, one of these diuretics, which are called potassium sparing diuretics to make sure that the person's not urinating too much potassium out. Okay. So, the way that this works is you've got um, spirolactone, which yep. is kind of like a mimic, mimics... Um, no, actually, it blocks oh. aldosterone. Yeah. Okay. So, it's kind of like a... Um, what's a per an impersonator? Yeah. That um, jumps on the seat of Like you who impersonates a lecturer all the time. <laughs> that jumps on the seat of aldosterone, yeah. but blocks it. Yeah. And so it stops aldosterone working. So Therefore, no, no pump, no sodium. Yeah. Cool. So that's But, but, but it doesn't cause potassium to be lost. And why is that? Do you know? 
Well, you you not you turn the pump off, so you're not going to be expelling it. That's right. It. So if no sodium is going from the filtrate into the cell, then no sodium can be exchanged on the basolateral side for potassium, which means no potassium goes into the cell, no potassium goes into the filtrate. Right. Very good. So, yeah. Okay. I think there's, there's another diuretic here. What yeah. is it? Amiloride. Amiloride. And yeah. that just blocks... That just blocks the sodium from going at the principal cells from going from the filtrate into, into the, the cell. cell. Yep. So no sodium going in. No exchange again, yep. and again no potassium. That's why the that's why milleride and spirolactone are called potassium sparing diuretics. And I think also ANP works here as well. So it's similar to milleride, atrial a- ANP, which is um, at the opposite end of RAS. Atrial natriuretic peptide, just okay. so everyone knows. And atrial natri- means what? Atrial. Atrial means it comes out of the atrium. Yeah, natriuretic. It's Latin for sodium, isn't it? Or is it Greek? Naturetic means peeing out sodium, right? I don't know. What's what's, what's sodium? Natururesis. What's um, sodium? What's its Latin term? I don't know. Isn't it naturetic? Yeah. No, no, no. It's naturetic is referring to natururesis, which is peeing out sodium. So you got atrial naturetic peptide, which is a peptide that's released from the heart that promotes sodium from being peed out. And so the reason why your heart releases this is if your blood pressure gets too high yeah, or blood high. volume... And you want to get rid of fluid. Your heart will respond by releasing AMP and says, oh, too much volume, pee out sodium, the water will follow, the blood volume will drop. <coughs> what a system, what a system. What a system indeed. Can we talk about the intercalated cells? Yeah, for some reason you like these. There's alpha and beta types. The alpha and beta intercalated cells help us regulate blood pH. Mm. Can I tell you how? I'd like to hear. I know you would. You're very excited. The alpha intercalated cells, they will reabsorb back into the blood or back into the body by carbonate and potassium, which means it helps us become a bit more basic. And at the same time, it will secrete into our urine hydrogen ions. So that means if we want to reduce our acid levels and increase our base levels, the intercalated cells will be activated and they'll reabsorb the base bicarbonate and potassium into the body and they'll pee out, promote the peeing out of hydrogen ions. The beta intercalated cells sort of do the opposite. Mm. They'll reabsorb the hydrogen ions to, to decrease pH, make it more acidic. There's an interesting point here. Go on. In the beta cells, there, there isn't the sodium-potassium pump anymore. <gasps> what? So this is the one area where there's no pump. And it's also the one area where we actually reabsorb hydrogen ions. Yeah, so it has a hydrogen ATPA pump. There you go, because we don't... Our so body it actively means it pumps hydrogen and gets a gradient here. So you'll find that nowhere else in the nephron will it reabsorb hydrogen ions back into the body because there's no gradient that's established for this to happen. And the only way we can establish this gradient is through an ATPase pump. And so this ATPase pump pumps out hydrogen ions from the blood into the cell and then that can be reabsorbed back into the body. Okay. Okay. So we've got that pump, hydrogen ion pump, beta intercalated cells reabsorb hydrogen ions and chloride ions and secretes bicarbonate. Pretty much the opposite of the alpha cells. So that means the alpha and beta can alter our blood pH. So that means the kidneys can control the pH of our blood to maintain it being between 7.35-7.45. And this is a long-term system. This takes a couple of days. Compared to the lungs. Compared to the lungs where all we need to do is hold our breath to 
increase our CO2 increasing hydrogen ions mm. or blow off that CO2 to decrease the hydrogen ions, making us more basic. Wonderful. And I think also just while we're here down towards the latter end of the nephron, we've also got an area that um, has ADH acting on it. What's ADH? ADH is antidiuretic hormone. Where's it released from? The posterior pituitary gland. What stimulates its release? Osmolarity and... Or osmolarity of the blood. From the... Hypothalamus. Nice. And I think also um, angiotensin 2. And what type of... I'm testing you here. The hypothalamus is the control regulator of the endocrine system. It will stimulate the anterior pituitary gland and posterior pituitary gland to release their hormones. Mm-hmm. The hypothalamus stimulates the anterior through one mechanism and stimulates the posterior through another mechanism. Do you remember what those mechanisms are for the posterior? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it really um, stimulates the posterior because the, the posterior is just a continuation of a neuron. Ooh. So really, what do you mean? So really the hormones that come out of the posterior more accurately are just neurotransmitters. So they're actually produced by the hypothalamus. Yeah. And so transported. It's a, it's a neuron that its cell bodies in the hypothalamus and its axons go through the little stalk mm. and it's... The infundibulum. Yeah. It's one of my mean, favorite words in biology. Which means funnel. Yeah. And it goes... Oh, well, thanks for ruining that. <laughs> <laughs> which comes down into the posterior pituitary gland and it's the synaptic end. Okay. And we'll just release it out into the... Blood system. So the posterior pituitary is just an extension of the hypothalamus. Yeah. And the anterior pituitary is a true endocrine gland. Yeah, because the anterior pituitary, um, evolu- not evolutionary, uh, embryologically comes yeah. from your nose. What? Nose, mouth. And so it has to come into your brain. Whoa. And so because it's come externally in, mm. therefore it needs its an, a different way of regulating it, whereas the posterior has always been there. Wow. It's just an extension out. Oh, that's cool. Okay, so ADH is there at the posterior pituitary. Hypothalamus stimulates it through nervous innovation, yeah. uh, through osmolarity changes yeah. to release. So if you're dehydrated, it means your osmolarity goes up, right? Because you're more concentrated mm. in your blood. The chemoreceptors in the hypothalamus pick this up, stimulates posterior to release ADH. ADH travels to the uh, collecting ducts. Yep. Inserts aquaporins. Also known as vasopressin. Also known as vasopressin. In, okay. uh, inserts aquaporins yep. to increase the reabsorption of water back into the body. Brilliant. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks. So two two types of aquaporins. Yeah, one at the filtrate side and one at the basal side. Cool. It helps. The, but that's just a, that's a really last ditch effort to get water back in. Are we done? Yeah, it's a lot of stuff, wasn't it? It is. Oh, we did an hour on the nephron. And like we could have done another couple of hours, I reckon. I mean, we only spoke about sodium, chloride, potassium, and water. Yeah. So I, think that, so I think that's the kidney for... I think we'll be done with the kidney for a while. Yeah. So we've done kidney overview, we've done the glomerulus, and now we've finished it off with the nephron. Yeah. And tried to give you some clinical correlation to it we did RAS with and RAS as well so yeah, we've we did done a fair quite a bit lot. for kidney what do you reckon we should do next I don't know but I've got to go pee see ya ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. Hello. Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.